The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Okay, it is time for a weekly coronavirus update. I think weekly is sort of the right timing to do these. We're now not really following day to day data, but more looking at things uh, week over week and looking at trends and changes to cases and deaths and vaccinations. So let's jump right in. Um, Things are still looking continually better. They're looking better than last week on average, but there's now sort of a word of caution about some of the last few days of data. And again, because we're looking week over week, I don't think we should read too much into it now, but I'll explain momentarily from the standpoint of coronavirus cases. Cases are now down 72 percent from their average peak, which took place on January 11th. On January 11th, our seven day average was two hundred and fifty five thousand new cases per day. When we think back to um, June of 2020, when Dr. Fauci said, if we're not careful, we might get to 100,000 cases a day. And many deniers said that'll never happen. And we got to 100,000 and 150 and 200. And we were averaging 255,000 new cases a day uh, the week of January 11th. We are now down from that peak by 72%, 72% decline in new daily cases to about 70,000 per day. But, and here's that word of caution the decline has leveled off in the last few days. And there was even a slight average day to day uptick yesterday. Now, a lot of people have been asking, and emailing me and tweeting to me, is this an actual reversal? Are cases now going to go up? I don't think so. I think it's possible that if indeed the vaccines are shown to be ineffective against the primary variants, that in a couple of months, cases could actually start going up in earnest. I don't think that that is going to be the case, but that's not what we're talking about now. What is going on right now is that because of the terrible weather in much of the country last week, testing and reporting of cases was slowed down. So most likely there were declines that were reported late last week, which were bigger than the real declines because weather stopped a bunch of testing and reporting. And now as the reporting gets caught up and people who should have been tested Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but weren't because of bad weather are getting tested and are coming back positive. And so the numbers are kind of leveling off and appearing a bit higher. I don't think this is a real reversal. I think this is an artifact of the reporting changes because of the weather. Now, in terms of deaths, the numbers have also improved dramatically. Unfortunately, the numbers were so bad when it comes to deaths that even these improved numbers are still completely tragic. But deaths are down 38 percent from their mid January highs. Deaths were peaked at thirty four hundred per day. They're down to about twenty one hundred per day. Now, twenty one hundred per day is outrageous. It's an outrageous tragedy every single day. But it is a decline of 38 percent and similar to cases, a small uptick in the last couple of days also believed to be because of lower reporting due to the bad weather late last week, which is now recovering and the data will sort of be shuffled around. And and I think we'll be back to kind of normal day to day tracking within another 48 to 72 hours. We'll know in the next four to six days whether there really is a reversal here cases and deaths leveling or even even going up a bit 
or whether uh, this is just a, a reporting artifact and cases and deaths will continue down. Now, much like case and death reporting was slowed down because of the bad weather, so were vaccinations slowed down. We had actually gotten up to averaging about 1.7 million shots per day. But because of the bad weather and important to understand, the bad weather affected vaccinations in the states with the bad weather, like Texas, for example. But the bad weather also affected shipments of vaccines to more of the country. And last week we saw vaccinations per day a drop from 1.7 million a day to 1.4 million a day. Now, that's still much higher from where we were um, January 20th, for example. It's not high enough. And Dr. Fauci says he's confident that the missed doses are going to be made up for in the next week or so. Let's hope that happens. And obviously we're following that number very closely. The three numbers we're looking at closely now are cases, deaths and vaccinations. Hospitalizations also an important indicator to look at. Now, vaccines in terms of vaccine news and important studies. As I said yesterday in our segment about vaccine alarmism, remember vaccine alarmism is not anti-vax. Vaccine alarmism is something else we described yesterday. Um, people just being uh, unnecessarily negative about the impact of these vaccines, although the effect on transmission by uh, being vaccinated was not studied by Moderna and Pfizer. We are getting more and more early data from the United Kingdom and Israel, which gets us closer and closer to being able to say fully vaccinated people uh, are uh, transmitting, are able to transmit coronavirus to a much lesser degree. Uh, two studies, one from the UK says that two doses of the Pfizer vaccine cut transmission risk by 86 percent. Now, normal caveats. This is a preprint. This wasn't studied in the phase three trials by Moderna and Pfizer. So it is now being studied preprint UK data says transmission down 86 percent among fully vaccinated people. A study from Israel found an 89% reduction in transmission among fully vaccinated people. This is good news, which still needs to be confirmed in peer reviewed settings. Until it is confirmed, we should not be acting belligerently once vaccinated. Now, as far as vaccine supply right now, <clears throat> and this gets to one of the main questions, which is when will person A, person B, person C be able to get a vaccine? It will vary state to state. We have seen very uneven rollouts in some states versus others. As far as vaccine supply, it looks like the United States will have enough vaccine for full vaccination of 130 million people by the end of March. Now, that's five weeks away. But remember that it takes up to five weeks to be fully vaccinated. What I mean by that is with the Pfizer vaccine, you have 21 days between dose one and two. With the Moderna vaccine, it's 28 days between uh, dose one and two, and you're not considered fully protected until seven days after your second dose. So if you get the Moderna vaccine, if you can get it by March 31st, and let's imagine you get an appointment, you get your second dose on April 28th, and that means you are not considered fully protected until uh, roughly uh, May 5th, that would be. Okay. So it's about a 35 day period from when you get it until when you're considered fully vaccinated. However, there is more good news, and that is that the third vaccine, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is on the way. 
Today, it has been endorsed for emergency use authorization by FDA staff. It now needs to go through the kind of final final process for emergency use authorization. That is a one dose vaccine. The good news is one dose makes logistics far simpler and uh, X number of doses is good for twice as many vaccinations, right? If you have 10 million doses, but everybody needs two, you can vaccinate 5 million people. If you have 10 million doses and people only need one, you can vaccinate 10 million people. The cautious possible downside on the JNJ vaccine supply is unclear. And I, I think we'll just leave it there because unclear is basically tells you everything we need to know. We just don't know yet how much supply of that will be available, how quickly. So I think where the facts lead us is to continued cautious optimism. As far as variants go, we'll be uh, interviewing Dr. Eric Topol again soon about the effectiveness of these vaccines against the three most prevalent variants. That's a topic of concern right now. It's looking okay. And uh, we'll have more information about that soon and in our interview with uh, Dr. Eric Topol. All right. This this is something very different that I'm going to do. And let me know if you think that that this is uh, interesting for the show and whether this is instructive. As many of you know, and many people are mad about this. I don't talk about politics with viewers via email. I'm so busy doing the show that I, I can't respond to political questions via email or engage in that way. At this point, we get about six thousand emails, comments, tweets, Facebook posts and the like every single day. We would need multiple full time people if the idea was to sort of like engage meaningfully with every every comment. But every once in a while, if there's something that I think will be instructive, I will sort of jump in and uh, get involved. And indeed, uh, I received an email yesterday morning from an anti vaccine individual spouting conspiracy theories, and I decided to engage. I decided to actually let's see where they are getting their information. How did they come to hold the beliefs that they have? And so I'm protecting uh, her email address and, and, and last name. But I am going to go through a conversation I had via email with an anti vaxxer named Amy. Now, Amy wrote to me yesterday morning with the subject, a concerned viewer. And Amy said about vaccines, just curious how you could deceive others when it comes to the covid and the vaccines. I'm well aware that, you know, it's all a scam and the so-called vaccines are causing deaths. Now, there's there's probably five things there to look at uh, the idea that I know that it's a scam. What the virus or vaccination? The so-called vaccine refers to people who say these aren't actually vaccines. Causing deaths refers to people who believe it is the vaccine causing people to die rather than covid itself. So there's a lot here, but let's let's get a big picture view of what she's saying. Amy goes on. Is money that important to you that you have to go along with this now? No. Who would even pay me to say the vaccines? You know, I, I, I really got a vaccine. Nobody paid me to do that. Nobody's paying me to say that it was great. Uh, I, I don't even know who would be willing to give me money to do that. Amy goes on. People are starting to despise you. Well, people have despised me for a long time. That's not new. Now, she's right about that, but that's not new. And you don't have to believe me, but all traders involved in this scam will see a prison cell. It's already mentioned in a couple lawsuits I know of. So keep on with your nonsense and you will see. So I actually decided to write back to Amy and I said, no one has died from the vaccine. 
We will not spread dangerous propaganda on our show, to which Amy wrote me back very quickly. I have proof. I also have proof from CDC documents. We are being played. The fact that you don't even ask about the proof I have proves you are involved in this scam. So up until this point, the allegation is because I've not asked her for the proof. I'm part of the scam. Now, I actually uh, want to see where she is getting these ideas. I want to see what documents, what websites, what is it that these anti vax conspiracy folks are basing their ideas on? So I wrote back, okay, send it. Send me the stuff. I want to see the proof. And Amy wrote back first without even addressing the fact that I've asked for the information, saying, you know exactly what's up. There are CDC documents admitting we're being played. Lawsuits filed saying we're being played. Mike Pompeo was asked one time if COVID was a hoax and he wouldn't answer. Now, that was for political reasons that that's not, you know, Mike Pompeo is secretary of state. He, he doesn't know anything about immunology or epidemiology. And she goes on to say, as for the fake vax, why would Fauci get caught faking getting it? I have that proof, too. This is a conspiracy that Dr. Fauci pretended to be vaccinated, but that the he wasn't really injected. And then she finishes her email by saying there's all kinds of death reports and the list of proof goes on and on. You do know all this. Now, uh, of course, I want the proof now. So I simply wrote back to Amy, please send me the documents so I can review them, lawsuits and documents. And now Amy says, slowing down her responses a little bit, taking a little more time between responses. Amy says, I'll get the info together now. However, I feel like this is a trick because I know how you people work. You all want to know what info we have so you can scrub it from the Internet. So this is interesting. First evidence of my malfeasance was that I didn't ask for the proof. Now it's suspicious that I am asking for the proof. And of course, the idea that I can just have things scrubbed from the Internet, you know, we're, we're now going many levels deep. Amy says, I'm not stupid and I don't trust anyone. There's no way you don't know this, especially doing what you do while I'm getting the info. Here is the name of one attorney dealing with a lawsuit, Reiner Rolmick. And a question still is, why wouldn't Mike Pompeo answer when asked if covid was a hoax? Why would Dr. Fauci fake getting the so-called vaccine? There is no way you wouldn't know what's up. So I wrote back again. I'm, I'm remaining very calm and I just said it's no trick. I want to see the info. Amy writes back. I'm getting the info together. And like I said, Reiner Rolmick is one of the attorneys and he admits it's fraud. Again, we don't know what is fraud. Little more time goes by. Amy sends me another email. I just ran across this about the inventor of the tests they're using for covid. He tells you it can't detect if you're sick. Notice how they remove the video because it's truth. Now, I don't know what video she's referring to, but the article she sent has nothing to do with proof of people dying from the vaccine. They aren't lawsuit documents. It's merely an article which says PCR tests can't tell you if you are actually ill with something. And we know that. And that has nothing to do with covid. PCR tests are designed to tell you is a particular signal present in a swab. Uh, You might physically have some virus particles in you and you might not actually be sick. That's not news of any kind. And so I wrote back at this point and I said, Amy, 
You said you had proof the vaccine is killing people. This is an article about testing. Can you send the articles you mentioned about vaccines as well as the lawsuits? And I never heard from Amy again. Now, there are certainly some anti-vax conspiracy theorists who would have things to send me. And if they did, I would evaluate the sources in the past. They're uh, very disreputable websites, you know, natural news type sites and things like this. But this is a great example of the types of thinking we're dealing with, where me wanting the information or not wanting it, both are part of the conspiracy. Finding the videos she's referring to would be proof of the conspiracy. But if she can't find them, that's proof that someone removed them in order to cover up the conspiracy. And so I think the takeaway for me is obviously, you know, I th this this took an hour out of my day. It's not plausible to do what, it, what this is a retail strategy to disabuse people of these notions now, because Amy ultimately couldn't find any of the things she said she was going to send me. Does, did she change her views even? Probably not. What I did probably didn't even change her views. And this really goes to the difficulty in dealing with this type of conspiratorial thinking. We've done interviews with experts on conspiratorial thinking and consp conspiracism, and they pointed to the same thing. Let me know what else maybe we can learn from this, but certainly an illuminating moment in illuminating just how much of an uphill battle this is. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at D Pacman. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. If you've been watching the show, you've probably heard me talk about how much I love my Helix mattress. Well, I was really excited to hear that Helix has launched a new company called Allform, which makes premium customizable sofas and chairs with the same level of quality and comfort that I expect from these guys. And Allform is one of our sponsors today. They're giving you 20% off at allform.com slash Pacman. They actually sent me a couch which I put in my living room at home. It's now my favorite piece of furniture in the house. It took me just minutes to set it up. It's solidly built. It's huge. It's roomy. It has a modern minimalist design, which I love, but it's also very comfortable. Fabric is soft, clearly very high quality. It has become the focal point of my living room. Their prices are very reasonable. And when you get a new sofa or chair, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. And the best part is everything comes with a lifetime warranty. Stop buying poorly made furniture. Go customize your own all form sofa or chair right now and get 20% off your entire order when you get there by going to allform.com slash Pacman. That's A L L F O R M dot com forward slash P A K M A N. The more we learn about various diets around the world, the more we realize that uh, some of the healthiest diets where folks are living the healthiest and the longest are heavily plant based. And one of our sponsors, Just Egg, is a great place to start. Just Egg cooks and tastes just like real eggs, but it's made from plants. It has less saturated fat, no cholesterol, packed with protein. I've been cooking with Just Egg at home. And you can use it in so many different ways, just like traditional eggs, omelets, scrambled eggs, French toast, banana bread. 
one of my favorite dishes, pad thai. It also is better for the planet, generating 93 percent fewer carbon emissions and 98 percent less water than conventional eggs. You can find just egg at lots of grocery stores, Whole Foods, Kroger, Amazon Prime Now and Instacart. Check it out. Just egg really is a great product from a company with a great mission. And I'm really glad that they're a sponsor of the show. The David Pakman Show at DavidPakman.com. The David Pakman Show is viewer and listener supported independent media. Consider grabbing a membership at joinpacman.com. You'll get daily commercial free audio and video feeds of the show just for you, as well as the daily bonus show. Every day we've got the broadcast show podcast. That's what this is. And then we do another show where producer Pat joins me to discuss even more news and stories. Uh, that one is just for our members and you can sign up at joinpacman.com. And of course, feel free to use the coupon code better 21 if you would like a discount. This is very interesting. We now have a, a full month into Joe Biden's presidency, a full month out of Donald Trump's presidency. There's a new economist YouGov poll that looked at favorability versus unfavorability for a number of the most well-known American political figures. And the key takeaway is that Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, by almost exactly the same degrees, uh, are the most relatively well-liked national elected officials in the United States. The poll was released yesterday. It found that 49 percent of Americans have a very or somewhat favorable view of Bernie Sanders, while Joe Biden has a 50 percent mostly or somewhat favorable view. When you look at the unfavorable, so Bernie's 49 favorable, 39 unfavorable. Joe Biden, on the other hand, is 50 favorable, 42 unfavorable. These are both essentially within the margin of error. And uh, they tell us that right now in the United States, the most I mean, I don't think popular is the wrong word to use. The most popular, the most well liked net favorable elected officials are the current president, Joe Biden, as well as Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, the furthest left member of the United States Senate. Now, for a comparison, Vice President Kamala Harris has a slightly smaller net favorability. So net favorability is favorability minus unfavorability. Bernie at forty nine thirty nine is at plus ten. Biden at fifty forty two is at plus eight and Kamala Harris at forty eight favorable, forty three unfavorable is at plus five. Um, someone like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez also polled at plus one favorability. And that's maybe not surprising. Uh, AOC very well liked among those that like her, very much disliked among those that dislike her. Um, Mitch McConnell, one of the least liked politicians in the country, net favorability for McConnell was minus 48, with only 17 percent of the country viewing McConnell favorably, 65 percent viewing him unfavorably. Uh, Joe Manchin minus 11. Joe Manchin, the most conservative member 
of Senate Democrats among the Democratic members of the Senate, the most conservative. And uh, these are very interesting numbers for a few different reasons. When Donald Trump was president of the United States, he never reached 50 percent approval. Now, approval, remember, is different than favorability. Trump never reached 50 percent approval and left office with the lowest approval rating in the history of the polling era for any president. Joe Biden came in and in different polls had the highest initial approval of any president in the last 28 years. Joe Biden with initial approval, one poll had him at 58 percent. Another had him at 63 percent, really, really high numbers. And the fact that when it comes to favorability, we are also seeing Joe Biden be one of the most well-liked American politicians tells us that these numbers, these one off numbers, 63 percent approval, 69 percent approval on handling of covid, 80 percent support for his mask. Again, to call it a mandate is a bit much, but federal mandate plus a national recommendation. Uh, these are not flukes and these are uh, the entire package of numbers makes a lot of sense. Now, the question we have to get to is, so what? What is Joe Biden now going to do? I've been talking now for we're into week five on covid relief, and the belief is that we are getting closer to covid relief. Did Joe Biden overpromise by saying checks would go out right away? Yeah, probably. But it's time to just do it. Joe Biden has the highest initial approval and one of the highest favorabilities right now of any American politician. The country mostly wants the covid relief bill. What are we waiting for here, given that Republicans have made it clear from the beginning their goal is only to obstruct? They proposed instead of a one point nine trillion dollar package, this pathetic, tiny package, six hundred billion, cutting a whole bunch of the key elements of the bill out. What are we waiting for? Joe Biden has the approval rating. Joe Biden has the favorability. Joe Biden has the American people's view on covid relief on his side. What what are we waiting for at this point? It's time to do it. And I am we are, I think we're just a couple of days, maybe even one day from the next Gallup tracking poll with Biden's approval. I'm curious to see where it is, but I don't know of any reason to wait any longer for just passing covid relief via budget reconciliation. Let every Republican vote against it if that's what they want to do. I don't think they will because they know it's popular with their own constituents. Ted Cruz is now clearly even more disgusting than we thought. And we thought Ted Cruz was pretty damn disgusting after his recent Cancun Cruz fiasco, where he fled the country amid a power outage in his state of Texas to go sit on the beach in Cancun. Ted Cruz has now been pictured scrolling through his phone, paying no attention to Senate hearings yesterday about the January 6th Trump Capitol riots. Um, this is a picture of Ted Cruz, uh, very, very busy on his phone as testimony about exactly what happened on January 6th is taking place. Ted Cruz completely disrespecting the hearings. He doesn't care. And here is video. You will uh, hear a testimony going on. And then you will see the camera cut to Ted Cruz, who is on his phone. He's tapping in a way. It almost looks like he's playing a game, maybe booking a flight to Cancun or Acapulco. I don't know exactly what he's doing. Let's take a look at this. 
Based on the intelligence that we received, we plan for an increased level of violence at the Capitol and that some participants may be armed. But none of the intelligence we received predicted what actually occurred. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's trying to book flights somewhere warm. I don't know if he's playing a game. I don't know if he's tapping out a text to that group of friends that were really pleased with the three hundred and nine dollar a night rate that they were going to get at whatever hotel in Cancun they went to last week. Ted Cruz just cannot stop embarrassing himself almost daily at this point in time. Not the only person, by the way, I don't want to only focus on Ted Cruz here in our coverage of these hearings yesterday, not the only person disrespecting these hearings into the Trump riots. Radical Republican Senator Ron Johnson, again, Ron Johnson, just one of the worst. He took his question and answer period and used it to float some ridiculous conspiracy theory about how the January 6th riots were actually done by everybody other than Trump supporters, people pretending to be Trump supporters, left wingers, whatever. But they weren't really Trump supporters. Take a look at this. Thousands of people I passed or who passed me along Constitution Avenue, some were indignant and contemptuous of Congress, but not one appeared angry or incited to riot. Many of the marchers were families with small children. Many were elderly, overweight, or just plain tired or frail. Traits not typically attributed to the riot prone. Many wore pro-police shirts or carried pro-police black and blue flags. Although the crowd represented a broad cross-section of Americans, mostly working class by their appearance and manner of speech, some people stood out. A very few didn't share the jovial, friendly, earnest demeanor of the great majority. Some obviously didn't fit in. And he describes four different types of people, plainclothes militants, agents provocateurs, fake Trump protesters, and then disciplined, uniformed column of attackers. I think these are the people that uh, probably planned this. He goes on, the D.C. Metropolitan Police were their usual professionally detached selves, standing on curbs or at street crossings and exchanging an occasional greeting for marchers. When we crossed First Street Northwest to enter the Capitol grounds where the Capitol Police had jurisdiction, I noticed no police at all. Several marchers expressed surprise. The openness seemed like a courtesy gesture from Congress, which controls security. They weren't actual Trump supporters. They were provocateurs. They were fake Trump protesters. And this is very similar to the it was actually Antifa in disguise, Antifa with Trump shirts and Trump flags and Trump hats and some of them armed. And they even played the they they really acted all day going to the Trump rally and cheering. It was all an act. That's what we are led to believe believe. And uh, I don't even know how much more we have to talk about this. It's uh, horrifying and delusional that we still have members of the Senate floating this idea. But the January 6th Trump riots were really, really simple. It wasn't Antifa. It wasn't mostly a Muslim crowd. It wasn't mostly a Mexican crowd. It wasn't the LGBT community. It wasn't socialists. It wasn't Biden supporters or Obama supporters or Bernie Sanders supporters. It wasn't Black Lives Matter. It was Trump supporters who mostly are white, Christian and male. Now, there are some exceptions. OK, uh, it wasn't most white people. Most white people weren't Trump rioters. It wasn't most men. Most men wanted nothing to do with the riots. It wasn't most Christians. But those who were there were disproportionately men, white and Christian. But most importantly, they were Trump supporters. That's it. 
no more conspiracy theories, hypotheses or wild speculations are needed to determine who it was that was there on that day. But Ron Johnson doesn't care and he's going to keep it going. And we'll have more coverage from yesterday's Senate hearings about the Trump riots on our Instagram page. You can follow us on Instagram at David Pakman Show. The David Pakman Show at DavidPakman.com. Today's show is sponsored by an excellent audio book called Takeover, How a Conservative Student Club Captured the Supreme Court. This is the latest audio book from Noah Feldman. It just came out and Feldman actually narrates the audio book himself. Noah Feldman, of course, is a Harvard law professor and constitutional scholar. You may remember him from his prominent role in Trump's impeachment number one. And the book Takeover looks at how the Federalist Society became the most powerful legal organization in the country. Six of the nine current Supreme Court justices are uh, current or former members of the Federalist Society. And Takeover dives into what the organization is, what it stands for, its relationship with American politics. The Federalist Society is an organization anyone in my audience should be aware of. And the audiobook has a ton of excellent insight into it and the role it plays. I really enjoyed listening to the audiobook. I think anybody in my audience would as well. So grab Takeover by Noah Feldman. The audiobook is just $4.99 and you can get it at davidpackman.com slash takeover or wherever you buy audiobooks. One of our sponsors is Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer owned company shipping super quality CBD directly from their farm to your door. They cut out the middleman, which saves you money and gets you the freshest possible product, which includes tinctures, flour, gummies, skin topicals, even CBD coffee, which I've really enjoyed. The whole team loves Sunset Lake CBD, especially their CBD oil and the gummies. We always say send us more. Every time we run out, CBD is reported as being useful for relieving stress, pain, inflammation. Some people use it before bed to help with sleep. And Sunset Lake is where you want to get your CBD because they pay employees a living wage. Their farm is sustainable. And of course, because they support progressive shows like ours, they're giving David Pakman show listeners 20% off when you go to davidpackman.com slash CBD and use the coupon code Pacman. That's coupon code P-A-K-M-A-N. You can find the URL in the podcast notes. Welcome back to the David Pakman Show. Republican Senator Mitt Romney is not someone that I go to when I need advice about anything. He's not someone that I agree with on policy almost ever, except for maybe some completely uncontroversial small things. Uh, But he has done one thing right during the last couple of years, which is for the most part, he just tells things as they are, even when they are about the Republican Party. And uh, Mitt Romney predicted yesterday that Donald Trump would easily win the 2024 Republican presidential nomination if indeed he tries to win it in 2024. And this coincides exactly with what the polling has indicated that we've looked at over the last month, which is that at least for now and things can change between now and 2022, between 2022 and 2024. 
But for now, the vast majority of the Republican Party is behind Donald Trump and the 2024 nomination is his for the taking if indeed he wants it. Mitt Romney said that he is, quote, sure that Trump will at least play a role in the Republican Party in the coming years, pointing out that he is by far the largest voice and big impact, a big impact in the party. And that, quote, I expect he will continue playing a role. I don't know if he'll run in 2024 or not, but if he does, I'm pretty sure he will win the nomination. Romney did point out, as we've been pointing out, that things can change between now and 2024, but that for the time being, quote, I look at the polls and the polls show that among the names being floated as as potential contenders in 2024, if you put President Trump in there among Republicans, he wins in a landslide. I think that that is absolutely and completely correct. And unless something changes, if Trump wants it, the nomination is likely to be his in 2024. Now, what is it that could change? And I think this is the most important thing to think about. Well, a couple different things could change. Number one, Trump could change things by starting his own party. And we've talked about this before. For now, Trump has such a following within the Republican Party that if he were to say, I'm leaving the party and starting my own, 64% of Republicans say they would leave with him. Now, I don't believe 64% actually would. I think when it came down to it, particularly if a year has gone by, if two years have gone by, there's a serious likelihood that some of that 64 percent would say, you know, I'm kind of over Trump. I'm actually going to stay. But even if it's 20 percent or 30 percent or 40 percent of the Republican Party that does leave if Trump starts his own party, that could spell absolute and total disaster for the Republican Party. And it would also mean that the Republican nominee would not be Trump because Trump would be the nominee of whatever party his starts that he starts. That's something that could change. The other thing that could change is that all of this energy around Trump, much of it fomented by his claims for two months after the election that Joe Biden stole it and that he actually won subsequently by continuing to claim and being supported in his claims by Newsmax and OAN and to some degree Fox News uh, that he has this strategy or that strategy to try to get the election back. That generated a lot of excitement and a lot of interest and a lot of energy. If that simply dissipates with Trump out of the spotlight, uh, then you could also see um, the party go in a different direction that maybe would not choose Trump as its 2024 nominee. And then also, I think that this will sort of be a feedback loop. But if Trump sort of fades away a little bit over the next 18 months, it's quite possible that many of the Trumpian elected officials that came to power only because of their affiliation with Trumpism. I'm thinking about Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Madison Cawthorn, and there are others, but those are sort of the big three. The Trumpy elected officials may get absolutely destroyed in their 2022 reelection campaigns. I already saw some early uh, data and statements out of Marjorie Taylor Greene's district in uh, Georgia that suggests it could be a bloodbath for her in November of 2022. It's so long from now, it's very difficult to say for sure. We're you know 19 months away or something like that. But if the Trumpy elected officials get crushed in 2022, that may kind of continue this decline of Trumpism within the Republican Party. But Mitt Romney is completely right. As of right now, Donald Trump would easily win the Republican nomination. And, uh, you know, we talk about areas in which Democrats and Republicans are too similar and areas in which Democrats and Republicans couldn't be more different. Donald Trump never could have won 
a Democratic primary <clears throat> in 2016. Never would have happened. The Democratic electorate simply would not be bamboozled in that way. You can say a lot of things about elected Democrats and a lot of things about the Democratic electorate, but they would never fall for someone like Trump. The Republican electorate not only fell for it in 2016, they continued to support him in 2020 to almost the same degree. He ultimately did lose the presidential election. And so far, they still support him. That is a dramatic difference between the Democratic electorate and the Republican electorate in terms of what they are capable of falling for. And at this point, all we can do is wait this Sunday. Donald Trump will make his first public speech since leaving office at CPAC. We will be covering it live, and I'm curious to see if and what he says, if anything, about uh, the 2024 election or even 2022. He is expected to talk about the f his future to some degree within Republican Party politics. So that's, I believe, in the three o'clock Eastern hour on Sunday. I'll be live on YouTube, Twitch and Facebook covering that. I think you'll find this super interesting. The term gaslighting has become very tainted by a movement on the right to claim that the use of the term gaslighting is in and of itself some kind of ruse. Now, the truth is that gaslighting is a real thing. Sometimes the word is applied correctly and sometimes it isn't. But generally speaking, gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person or a group covertly sows seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or group, making them question their own memory, perception or judgment. So simply lying about something, telling a lie, it doesn't really rise to the level of being gaslighting in spirit or, or even by the letter of what it is. There has to be some kind of more uh, calculated, manipulative intent. And last night on his Fox News program, uh, host Tucker Carlson casually claimed that he and his team weren't able to find any evidence that QAnon and Q even exist or that they have a following or that they're a thing. And part of the reason he says that he doesn't believe they exist is that he didn't find an official QAnon website, <laughs> which, of course, if you know anything about QAnon, you would understand, well, they don't have a website. Uh, if you haven't, if somehow you're not aware of QAnon, I envy you. QAnon is a disproven right wing conspiracy theory, which claims that there's a secret cabal of Satan worshiping pedophiles running a global child sex trafficking ring and that they plotted against Donald Trump. Sometimes Hillary is involved, sometimes not. Um, and that Donald Trump was sent to be president to root out these horrible people. Supporters of QAnon include white nationalists and other far right extremists. And of course, they were major supporters of Donald Trump and uh, they uh, were uh, big players in continuing to sow the false stories of so-called voter fraud and election fraud um, in the time after the 2020 presidential election. Now, the people who believe in this stuff and support Trump through it definitely exist. They're obviously wrong on the facts. But Tucker here says we can't find any evidence that this is even a thing. And this is a perfect example of gaslighting. Let's take a look at the video. So it's worth finding out where the public is getting all this false information, this disinformation, as we'll call it. So we checked. We spent all day trying to locate the famous QAnon, which in the end we learned is not even a website. If it's out there, we could not find it. Then we checked Marjorie Taylor Greene's Twitter feed because we have heard she traffics in disinformation, seen and told us, but nothing there. So Tucker learned 
that QAnon doesn't have a website. Well, we, we knew that he says he couldn't find QAnon nor any evidence of disinformation posted by Marjorie Taylor Greene ever. This is truly gaslighting. First of all, you know, the whole idea of Q from the beginning was they don't have a website. There's no QAnon Gazette. There's no you know, Q report equivalent of the Drudge Report where they post their ideas and articles. The whole concept was this is a here's a term. This is a sub Rosa thing where there's supposedly an insider providing the information, posting it to obscure Internet forums, and it's uh, repeated or signal boosted by the followers of Q. So this is a red herring and it is gaslighting. Tucker not finding a website isn't evidence for or against anything. Now, mind you, Tucker is the same guy who says he mailed physical flash drives without having backed up the content across the country during his so-called investigation of Hunter Biden. So he's not necessarily the brightest guy when it comes to these investigations and informational security. But OK, now the extra gaslighting is Tucker and Fox News have actually been major amplifiers themselves of election related disinformation, which plays right into the entire Q perspective. And they're being sued at this point for it, for repeating some of the same claims coming from the QAnon wing of the Republican Party, including that Donald Trump actually won the 2020 election. Now, in terms of, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greene thing, he says we looked at Marjorie Taylor Greene's Twitter. We didn't find any disinformation ever. Um, That's a laughable joke. And she's promoted Q stuff for a very long time. But you don't need to go back very far. Just look at the stuff she's posted over the last 24 to 36 hours. This morning, Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted, quote, Democrats are so beholden to the abortion murder lobby and their blood money campaign contributions that they nominate a guy, Becerra, for health and human services, who's fine with murdering babies up until the day they are born and maybe even after. That's not disinformation. Come on. And then also spreading disinformation about January 6th itself tweeting Speaker Pelosi. Have you figured out who planted the pipe bombs at the RNC and the DNC on January 5th, the night before the Capitol attack on January 6th, showing the attack was planned and not incited by press incited by President Trump and directed at both Republicans and Democrats? That's just the last 24 to 36 hours. And she's been spreading and repeating QAnon stuff for month after month after month. This is gaslighting. What Tucker Carlson did is gaslighting, making his viewers question their reality. Maybe QAnon doesn't even exist, in, in, in which case, by the way, it would make everything that Democrats are saying a lie, which is exactly the idea that populist Tucker Carlson wants to promulgate on his program. That's gaslighting. And unfortunately, you have a really willing audience, a really eager audience to follow whatever Tucker Carlson says on his program. Uh, remember, Tucker Carlson's lawyers, Fox News lawyers used when defending Tucker Carlson in lawsuits, they used as a defense. Tucker Carlson shouldn't be uh, interpreted as telling the truth. He's doing hyperbole and he's doing entertainment. He's not actually reporting facts on his program. That's what lawyers said under oath. Uh, not under oath uh, in, in the lawyers aren't under oath in court proceedings, defending the statements of Tucker Carlson. Just remember that when you watch this program.
The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. One of our sponsors today is Lucy, and they are giving my audience 20% off. Lucy is a company founded by Caltech scientists with only one mission, which is to help people quit smoking and vaping by offering a clean, affordable nicotine alternative. Now, many of you know, you've heard the stories. I've known several people in my life who have struggled with quitting smoking. I've seen how difficult it can be. And nicotine alternatives can be hugely helpful. Lucy offers a nicotine gum in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon and pomegranate. They also have lozenges which come in cherry ice flavor. Lucy is affordable. It'll ship right to your door. You don't have to go out to the store. Shipping is always free. You can buy single boxes or save with a subscription. It's time to throw the cigarettes away and get rid of the vape and Lucy can make it easier. You'll find a ton of excellent reviews online from countless people who have used Lucy to quit smoking and vaping. Go check them out at lucy.co. That's L U C Y dot co. The URL is in the podcast notes and you will get 20% off when you use the coupon code Pacman. Quick disclaimer, I'm required to give these products contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. I'm really excited that uh, one of our sponsors today is Helix Sleep. I sleep on a Helix mattress at home. I absolutely love it. And that's why I reached out to them about sponsoring the David Pakman show. Buying a mattress in the past was always a huge guessing game for me. I didn't know what I actually needed. I didn't know what I would like. But Helix has a sleep quiz on their website. You tell them your body type, your sleeping position, your back pain issues you might have. And their tool matched me with a mattress that is perfect for me. It's cool enough at night. It's the right firmness. I generally just do way better sleeping these days because of the mattress. Helix was awarded number one best overall mattress for the last two years by both GQ and Wired magazine. It is well deserved. I can tell you firsthand every Helix mattress comes with a 10 year warranty. You can try the mattress risk free for 100 nights and they will even come pick it up at your house if you don't love it. But I know you will. All of my viewers will get up to $200 off your order and you'll get two super premium pillows for free when you go to helixsleep.com slash Pacman. That's H E L I X sleep.com forward slash P A K M A N. You can also find the link in the podcast notes for this episode. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. We've been continuing to follow all of the different ways in which Donald Trump is likely to be tied up with lawyers, legal fees, potentially in depositions, a possible criminal investigations and so much more and more and more. It's likely to be years and years of this. And it's conceivable that Donald Trump may soon have to actually answer questions about the rape allegations against him under oath. And this relates to E. Jean Carroll. You may remember that E. Jean Carroll uh, accused Donald Trump of having raped her in a Manhattan department store in the mid 1990s. And when this became a story in uh, 2019, Donald Trump said he never knew Eugene Carroll. 
accused her of lying to sell a new book and added that she's not my type. Well, now her lawyers have filed a defamation suit against Donald Trump. And in fact, they filed that suit some time ago, but not much was happening partially because Donald Trump was still president of the United States. Now this is actually moving forward. The uh, explanation of Trump is president and this can't move forward for the time being because he's president and it would be in some way damaging or prejudicial for it to move forward. That is no longer a defense. And E. Jean Carroll's lawyers are looking to depose Donald Trump in this defamation suit and an attorney for Trump is not returning requests for comment about this particular case, but it is conceivable that in the next could be six months, could be 12 months, could be 18 months. Donald Trump would actually have to under oath answer questions about the alleged rape that E. Jean Carroll says took place. This is not the only case in which Donald Trump may have to answer questions under oath about an alleged sexual assault that he's accused of. There is a similar defamation lawsuit from Summer Zervos. That's again a name that may ring a bell. She was a contestant on Trump's reality show The Apprentice. And back in 2016, Zervos also accused Donald Trump of sexual misconduct, saying that it took place in 2007 initially. Um, when they were at a meeting in New York and then later he groped her at a California hotel when they were supposedly meeting to discuss job opportunities. Trump not only denied that, but also said Zervos is a liar. And so Zervos sued Donald Trump for defamation in 2017. Similarly, that did not really go anywhere because Donald Trump was president at the time. And there is again uh, the renewed belief that that may indeed be moving forward soon. Now, um, legal experts have said that the idea of um, the interference that the Justice Department ran for Trump on a lot of these cases while he was pre- a president is unprecedented and um, that that is not the way that any other president has been treated while in office, but that while still academically interesting is in the past. The question now becomes, are these cases going to move forward? And is Trump, even as a former president, uh, going to be compelled to be deposed? And we don't know the answer yet, but it will be extraordinarily interesting to follow and see. Now, if you just zoom out of this for a moment, um, it is truly another indicator of the two tiered justice system that we have that Donald Trump, it's not even at this point that Trump hasn't been held accountable for any of the things that he's done. They've not been adjudicated, right? Even if you believe that you're and and as, as we all should, that you are innocent until proven guilty, there's no adjudications that are even on the table because Donald Trump has been able to avoid even responding to these claims. Donald Trump has not been deposed when it comes to uh, these complaints. And he's not been put under oath. He's not even had to step foot in court for anything. So it's just another reminder that there really are two justice systems and that having power, having money, having friends in high places, having obviously uh, being in the most privileged position of power that one could arguably be in in the world as president of the United States. Laws only matter if there's somebody willing to enforce them. And one of the things we learned big picture from the Trump presidency is that 
the systems that the founding fathers put in place um, as checks and balances to a president uh, uh, for a president against a president relative to a president uh, arguably weren't strong enough because as soon as you had a president willing to ignore and to flaunt his power and to flout the norms and checks and balances, nothing happened. Now, you could make the case. Well, the problem isn't the system. The problem is that Trump had the Republican Party um, willing to help him avoid consequences. Well, then that's just part of the problems with the system. The system should be the checks and balances should be robust enough that you don't have to depend on a weaponized, friendly Republican Party to keep a Republican president out of actually um, uh, having to face the allegations against them. So that that's the way it is. If you have money and if you have lawyers who can just tie things up with paperwork, you can burden just about any system endlessly and keep yourself out of harm's way. And um, as we see, you come at Trump uh, and then he may sue you. Uh, and then if you try to sue Trump for defamation, then he'll just figure out a way to avoid being deposed. And a lot of this hopefully was only because he was president. We will see. We will see. I'm not like super optimistic, I have to say. We covered, I think it was two weeks ago, the very healthy incomes of Jared Kushner and his wife, Ivanka Trump, while they were working in the White House, earning some 400 million or so dollars between the two of them. Again, remember, while they were advising Donald Trump on policy and Ivanka was meeting with world leaders sitting in for the secretary of state, we now have income data for Donald Trump and Donald Trump is. And this is the key word. Donald Trump is admitting to making more than one point six billion dollars in revenue and income during his four years as president of the United States. That's roughly four hundred million dollars per year. This is based on a review by crew citizens for responsible ethics watchdog. I doubt that's what it is. I always forget what crew stands for, but they're a very good organization that has reviewed Donald Trump's financial disclosures and Donald Trump very publicly uh, took credit for and bragged about donating his salary. Uh, four hundred and forty thousand dollars a year, I believe it is. But uh, that ended up representing less than zero point one percent of the revenue and income that he has disclosed during his presidency. So really no big sacrifice. And I think that there's a couple of different stories here. On the one hand, Donald Trump's presidency did significant damage to his brand reputation. Lots of things removing the Trump name from them, buildings, condo buildings, etc. Donald Trump's hospitality revenue down dramatically. Many of his hotels, even before the pandemic, doing not well. The pandemic has only accelerated that, of course. Uh, but at the same time, um, you have to understand that there are all sorts of other sources of revenue for Donald Trump, including licensing and other properties that Trump has an interest in but don't have the Trump name on them. Many people may not even know that they're necessarily Trump affiliated properties, golf courses and so many other things. Uh, some of these are in Europe. We know, of course, of Turnberry in uh, and Aberdeen in Scotland, two of Donald Trump's golf courses there. And this has been a very profitable presidency for Donald Trump. Donald Trump and his family repeatedly said 
we're sort of taking a you know, we're taking a hit here. My life was great before being president. And, you know, I was making all sorts of money and I'm separating myself from all these businesses and all of this stuff made a big show of putting a big stack of papers in front of him during the transition period in 2016, claiming that uh, he he is going to be disassociating himself from all of these businesses. Well, turns out that he still earned a ton, a ton of money. And what this really makes me think of is the stunning hypocrisy with which right wingers can honestly say Bernie has a million dollars at nearly 80 years old and after earning six figures for decades as a member of of Congress and now the Senate. Bernie has a million dollars and three houses. Donald Trump earned four hundred million dollars per year while president of the United States. Jimmy Carter, when he was president, severed ties with his family's peanut farm to avoid even the possibility of the appearance of the perception of impropriety. And Donald Trump made four hundred million dollars per year and you hear nothing from his followers. It shouldn't really surprise us. And then the last thing is, as of course, with Trump, he's admitting to one point six billion while president. How much else is there? And with Donald Trump, we know he's very willing to say that a particular building is worth a lot if he needs to use it as collateral for a loan or not worth much at all. If it's to reduce the value of his assets for tax purposes, uh, real estate tax purposes or whatever the case may be, Donald Trump is admitting to one point six million in income and revenue while he was president. What else is there? How much has been funneled to his various kids? We know that with campaign donations, he was regularly putting his uh, family members on staff, Lara Trump and many, many others. We may never know the full scope of it, sadly. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. I've heard from so many people about these bogus claims that windmills, wind farms don't work in cold weather. Here is one such voicemail I received making some very good points. Hi, David. My name is Prince. I live in California. Yes. You were talking about Ted Cruz and his lying ass. I'm sorry. And then lying about the uh, the power grid. You neglected to mention that the uh, wind windmills are working in Alaska, yes. where it's very cold all the time, and solar power works in space, like in Mars <laughs> and in the space shuttle, where it's like minus 300 degrees or something. <laughs> so the cold does not affect it the same way. Correct. Thank you. Yeah. The, I mean, listen, you don't need to go to Mars or NARS, as Donald Trump used to call it. You, you don't need to go to outer space or Alaska, um, Wyoming and Montana have properly winterized wind turbines. They work fine. Um, uh, it, it, it's it, it is a ruse that it is merely because of green energy. As we know, the vast majority of the failures in Texas during the storms were natural gas, coal and nuclear caused by lack of winterization. Uh, this happened in 2011. A report was compiled which said, here's how you winterize all of these types of energy power generation um, mechanisms. It wasn't done. The same thing happened in 2021. It's it's that simple. We have a great bonus show for you today. We have news about the third coronavirus vaccine, and we will discuss that. Lawmakers are now targeting the video game Grand Theft Auto because of an increase in real world carjackings. What? We're doing this again. 
Plus, how can they come after Grand Theft Auto? It's like the only video game that I liked playing growing up as a kid. OK, and then Tiger Woods was in a single car accident. I'm not so much going to talk about the accident. I'm going to talk about whether that's really news and what it means about the news cycle that it was so widely covered. You can probably guess some of the questions we'll be asking, and there are probably more uh, discussions to be had there as well. All of those stories on today's bonus show get instant access to the bonus show. You know how to do it. You go to joinpacman.com. You sign up. You hit the bit. You hit the big red sign up button, and within seconds, you will be listening to or watching today's bonus show. I'll see you then.